Hello and welcome to episode 97 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike, focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern and pioneer. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. What's up, Stanislav? Stanislav. Yes, Shane. Okay, so is is the pasta made with pepper and like, is that is it Casio e Pepe or Cacio e Pepe? Or neither. I thought it was like cacho. Oh, that's even better. See, that's ca- cacio. That sounds very international. I like it. Cacio Pepe. I saw it. I saw it at Trader Joe's, and then I bought it, and then I made it for dinner tonight, and then I ate it. And I don't really know how to pronounce it correctly. How was it? Uh, I love Trader Joe's raviolis. Hold on one second. I gotta. I gotta get this call. Wait, wait. Sorry. This is this is my phone. Actually, I'll be right back. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, I know. I'm. I'm about to tell him. Yeah, I know. We'll get the paperwork in. I'm sorry. Okay. Bye. Guys. Yeah. Yeah? That was TDD Corporate. Oh, God. Uh, They're calling us because we are overdue on doing some really important uh, TPS reports and paperwork for for corporate. I thought I was corporate. I hate the end of October. (laughs) I know. And including one big one, which is it's the one-year anniversary of one of our formats. And it's time for us to do a performance review. Oh, God. For Pioneer. We, we do those? Yeah. I thought we had, like, blind performance reviews on each other only. N- I've no. already filled mine out for you two. No, we, we do performance reviews of inanimate non-entities, like, uh, non-corporeal entities like Pioneer. I haven't gotten the self-review yet. Self-reviews are the easiest type of reviews. And unfortunately, Pioneer doesn't get to do one. They have to rely on us to do it for them. And it's not going to be the cleanest thing in the world, I don't think. This is going to be this is going to be bumpy. Yeah, Pioneer has been at it for a year now, and it's time for us to give the format the old compliment sandwich. Let's talk about Pioneer, how it did in its first year as a format, and arbitrarily give it ratings from one to five. One being strongly disagree, and five being strongly agree on several inscrutable metrics. <laughs> to our new friend Pioneer, the format. One being underperform, five being strongly disagree, right? That's the, the, the scale is the most nonsensical I can come up with. Yeah, before we move on, I feel like we should introduce Dave. Otherwise, people aren't going to know who that voice is just kind of coming in with that telephone on high. If they came in last week, they only know about me and you, right? That's right. That's right. We have a third co-host. It's Dave, the godfather so here I'm, in Chicago. I'm the one who has the jokes. <laughs> and and the functional eyeballs thankfully dude uh, thankfully. all of your jokes involve the yelp sound uh that's skype that's clearly skype <laughs> yelp has a sound that's what i meant to say yeah help <laughs> all these internet brands yeah they all sound yeah, the same help. to me yeah all right before we do all that before we get into weird performance recaps we should do some housekeeping because we got some new patrons this week and we're always so gracious and we want to shout them out so, The Stock, Stephanie P., and John S., thank you so much for your support of The Dive Down. Also, thank you to Trevor D. for increasing their tier this week. Also means the world to us. We really appreciate it whenever our patrons do that. And so, thanks. Trevor, longtime Slack stalwart, thank you so much. We appreciate you. No new reviews this week. That's okay. If you want to review us, we can uh, makes us feel good about ourselves. We'll shout you out. You can head over to like your Apple Podcasts app. I don't know where else people can review things, but that'd be cool. Go for it. Um, Patreon. We talked a lot about the Patreon last week. I'll just give you the URL. 
patreon.com slash the dive down. Yeah, and if you want to support us while playing Magic, check out manatraders.com, the rental service that we use to rent Magic cards on Magic Online and do other magical things like win magical tournaments occasionally. You can check out Manatraders and use code THEDIVEDOWN, all lowercase, all one word, for 15% off your first three months of Magic Card Rentals. And hey, something to mention, Manatraders just bumped up their rental limits at each tier for the number of tickets you're allowed to take. Uh, Some of them they bumped up by as much as 100 tickets. I think the gold level went from 850 to 950, uh, but they moved everything up so that you can afford to get one euro. Yep. So thank I, you, Manatraders. I, I believe they also, uh, every account immediately, immediately has access to like the no holds bars. Like you're not, you know, you don't have a, there's no, there's no limit. Like you just get the, get the, get the things, keep them as long as you want, give them back when you're done type thing. There's no like clock that you're on. Yeah, as long as you're well behaved, you stay off the clock. That's true. Uh, I also, this will be, I believe the final episode before election day. Uh, however you feel, however you want to vote, we encourage you to do so to exercise your very important right. And in person, my personal opinion, your obligation to uh, make your voice heard in some way, shape or form. You may not be super enthusiastic about the presidential election. You may not be super enthusiastic about your state election, but there's going to be local things that are important to you. There's all sorts of issues that, um, are important to you, important to people that you consider important, important to people that you never probably have to think about sometimes. But uh, think about the way that your vote can impact the world around you. And I encourage you, and I believe my co-hosts are on board with this as well, uh, we all encourage you to uh, rock the vote, young people. You got propositions. You got referendums. You got constitutional amendments sometimes i mean illinois has a constitutional amendment under for for stan and i to look at right now um we also have things like our water board commission which is actually super important to a city that is on the great lakes so there is stuff like that but yes go out and vote now this episode comes out on october 30th so please be safe if you go vote in person mask up wear gloves yeah do your do your thing to be safe because at this point mail-in's not going to work unless you have that ballot sitting there already if you do take it to a polling place and drop it off somewhere safe what's your favorite way to vote guys well in colorado we're one of the smart states that uh, everyone votes by mail wow we just get a we get ballots sent to us and we send them back so not everyone has to but you can correct yeah you can do it in person if you so choose yes Uh, I voted by mail this year, and I got an email today from the Cook County Board of Elections that said my ballot had been accepted. I didn't know you lived in Cook County. Me too. Yeah. Neighbors. You know, I love voting on Election Day. I look forward to it. My polling place is always like across the street from me, so I'm just going to wear sweatpants, go over to East Lakeview High School. Uh, Good old Lakeview High School. Draw that line across the arrow. That's how our ballots go. Oh, yeah. I I fell on like a Scantron. I really wanted to like... I forgot that I can't like physically punch any chads this year. Like I can't like go like, can't, like I love punching chads, but <laughs> sorry to all any of our listeners named Chad Stanislav, I think cares about you as much as anyone else. It's true, but go out and do your duty vote, please. Thank you. All right. With all that out of the way, may I take us into the breakdown, please? We have a pretty thick dive on this week's episode into pioneer 
it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. I'm going to, I'm kind of worried. I'm getting nervous about when Pioneer gets here because, and I'm glad you guys are here too, because like I want to make sure that everything's above board and nobody gets too emotional. You got HR here. Yeah. All right. Right. And listen, I want to get to the good news and the bad. So I've assembled a pretty breezy breakdown that will hopefully carry us into the main topic of the episode. This past weekend, we had two Pioneer challenges. So I'm going to do a quick look at the top eights from both of them. And then I combined them into a 64 deck sample size to do a mini meta assessment from the weekend. So starting with the October 24th challenge, I was really inspired by the way Shane went through the challenges last week. I'm going to try to emulate that a little bit. First place, Jabberwocky on Sultide Delirium, your standard mid-range graveyard synergy deck. Yes, this is back, kind of out of the woodwork. Just, hey, here's Sultide mid-range. If memory serves, I think this is one of the best finishes we've seen for this deck in a while. This is also one of the best mid-range players on Magic Online. Logan Nettles, well-known for playing things like Jund in Modern, Magic the Gathering Platinum Pro, it says in his bio right now. Um, so I don't fully understand how the presence of Uro in this format doesn't lead to enough graveyard hate in the tournaments to prevent this deck from doing so well. That was a weirdly weird way of saying, like, shouldn't there be more graveyard hate to like beat up on strategies like Sultai Delirium? Certainly potential. I mean, it, it tries to, I think, fight back against that with, you know, with main deck Thoughtseize, with things like Duress and, you know, things like that. I mean, you could counter some Graveyard Hate with potentially like a mystical dispute, but not so likely. I mean, there's just, there's, you have options besides it. Like if you attack the Graveyard, this deck still has a few ways to get the job done, but. Yeah, I guess Murderous Rider beats tireless tracker takes over yeah i mean this is this is a deck that uses uro for value but if you waste if you have to bring in graveyard hate for this deck it's only one dimension of the deck you know it does turn off traverse the olenwald as well if you really get hard on the on the graveyard hate but you know this is a good deck this is like what jund looks like in pioneer basically in my opinion second place misplaced ginger on niftalite another great player um and yeah if misplaced ginger typically tries to identify the best deck and play the best deck to the best of their ability. So I believe that they're, they, they mean, they likely consider Nip Delight to be the deck to play to exercise their skill level. Third placed El Yalo on Mono Black Aggro. We know this deck well. You know, I played some Mono Black Aggro this week in Pioneer to for my first dipping into uh, Pioneer in a while. This deck, this deck is good. Oh, yeah. It's fun. Powerful. Yeah. I mean, I I wanted to see, you know, I was trying to be like, I'm going to play something fancy. I'm going to play Red Black Arcanist if I get back into Pioneer. And I realized that I had never just played this deck in the entire year that Pioneer's been around. And it is good. And Rankle is like the, the, the low drops are impressive in this deck, but it's really like the four drops that I think are like, they do a really great job of bringing stuff home for this deck, closing out games, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So still powerful, still good. The power of Thoughtseize and Fatal Push combined. There you go. Dave likes Wrinkle. Fourth place. Oh, Daniel Akos on Gruel Midrange. I feel like Midrange is a total misnomer. This deck is very aggressive. <laughs> yeah, I just, I still don't feel like, I can't believe it's like the year 2020. This deck has been bouncing around for like six weeks now. And two Questing Beast, two Glorybringer, two Reckless Bushwhacker cannot be the right numbers. I just can't. I just can't feel like this is the right, like it has to be one or the other. 
I don't know. I, I just feel like people are just like, yeah, this list works. We're going to keep running it. I just don't know. I'm not, I'm not winning with it. So don't look at me to Embercleave. Have you been losing with it? I'm, I have not been, I have not been playing this deck and I should be. I mean, this is your deck, man. Oh, I know. I kind of want to play it too. You, if there's actually one card that I associate with you from like when you first started playing Magic, it is Legion Warboss. No, it is Atarkas <laughs> Command and Goblin Rebel Master, but Atarkas Command for some reason. Oh, that's a good card. Fifth place, L1 X0 on Sultai Reclamation. So compared to the Delirium deck in first place, this one has very few creatures. It's essentially a control strategy. Relies way more heavily on removal and counter magic. Really, your only win cons here are Uro and Shark Tokens. Yeah, this deck is super annoying to play against. Oh yeah, so many counter spells. It's just like, God, how can there be so many? Sixth place, Juzum Jin on Black White Humans. This deck really keeps sticking around. I always love seeing it pop up. And I wonder if it's just has perfect Black White mana now, thanks to the Pathways. But it's also kind of a resilient aggro strategy against some of the removal out there because you have like, I think, eight, at least eight effects that give your creatures either protection from a color or indestructible. Yeah, it's a cool looking deck. I mean, it's it's definitely main deck. You don't have to worry about your mana at all. Almost you have like just general Kudro and a singleton dire tactics for your black splash. And then even when you sideboard, like you're going to have, like you said, you're going to get good access to reliable early black mana, like for your fatal push or thought seize or, you know, your second dire tactics, perhaps if you want it early. So yeah, it's a clean deck. It's tons of creatures. Looks like it can really get the job done. Seventh place, Night Knight 131 on Jund Sacrifice. So this is your Bolas of Citadel, Woe Strider, Priest of Forgotten Gods deck. It's back. Yeah, very similar deck running around in Historic, though that one has the Cat Oven combo as well. And I was wondering why this deck isn't running Cat Oven. And I wonder if that's just Catacomb Sifter plus Zillaport Cutthroat is a better engine, ultimately, for like kind of keeping the games going a little bit longer until you have your Bolas of Citadel online. It's a good hypothesis. This is actually the only Jund Sack deck we saw in the weekend, at least across the, the two top 32s. Yeah, I mean, it, it was there for a little while and quickly sort of dropped off. And it's probably one of those decks that maybe someone who really likes it or wants to show up with it and just try and just spikes it. Like it's it's definitely a, there's some high power level there for sure, right? Eighth place, Andrew, 1232 with Oops All Spells, playing the 92-card special with no Yorian. 92 cards. This is 2020 magic, baby. 92. This leads us perfectly into the Sunday challenge, because Andrew, 1232, won with Oops All Spells, the exact same deck as their Saturday list. Just running it back. Why not? What, what is going on with this deck? I'm pretty sure it's just so that you never draw your payoffs and you only have them when you flip your your library. I think that's it. Well, I mean, it also increases the... There's like... The way I look at it is you get certain level of increased consistency in terms of... You get access to more spells that gets you into your combo payoffs like in terms of like in terms of the combo rather. So like you have things like Neoform and Evolution that sort of turn into redundant copies of like Balustrade Spy and Undercity Informer type things, right? So like you have eight and to do so, I guess they figure you have to expand the size of your deck in order to have like your your hexproof mana creatures like Paradise Druid and Sylvan Carry added. Um, it's just the balance here must just be perfect and someone figured it out pretty quickly. 
it just blo- it blows my mind honestly it blows my mind well dare to dream nice work andrew 1232 if that is your real name i think it's and rw <laughs> <laughs> they're they're a boros mage yeah second place rune scoiled on lotus combo featuring salundi vision just a quick question have either of you played a salundi vision yet nope no but i did have this one tagged as a card that might pop up occasionally because it just seems like reasonable value with a land stapled to it i know that people are only running of it running it as a limited number of things but i've seen it pop up as like a one or two of in modern storm as well and i don't quite get it unless it's just like having a nice extra land to keep for land light hands that's also a spell when you have all your mana but maybe we'll test and find out later in third place Magina Linda with mono black aggro. Dave, do you still like that deck? Yeah. <laughs> I like it just as much. It, third place, I like it number third. It was third in the other one, third in this one. Fourth place, Oskaya on Saltai Reclamation. Fifth place, Traft with Blue White Spirits featuring three copies of my new favorite sideboard card, Isolate. Traft, this person is all over Blue White Spirits. I This is the other deck that I wanted to try to get to in preparation for this episode, but I didn't get a chance to run it out there because I think this deck is so cool, and I really want to see how good Watcher of the Spheres is. Traft always runs it in their list. They've not gone back to Bant or anything like that from what I've seen in the last six weeks, maybe, or longer, potentially. Uh, so definitely got an eye on this one. Dave, you and I had a similar journey where it was like, should I play Spirits? Should I play Arcanist? Nah. Although I didn't play Mono Black. <laughs> I played Is It Phoenix. Is there any Is It Phoenix list in here? No. No. Well, in the top 32, but not in the top eights. Uh, still, that, that I'm a little surprised by that, actually. So that's cool. Sixth place, Ardos on Lotus Combo. If you don't play Damping Sphere, this is what happens. But also, maybe Damping Sphere is too narrow against the field and it kind of just like hurts to devote your sideboard slots to like a single matchup where damping sphere is good. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need Trinus sphere and pioneer. No <laughs> seventh place, Batu Tina with four color reclamation. So this is the white Uro and Omnith Omnath deck. Omnith. Sir Omnith. This deck runs a bunch of spells, uh, including a play set of expansion explosion. Why not just throw a single RAL storm conduit? to have both occasional infinite combos as well as like value plays to either scry through your deck or double up like an instant or sorcery here and there. How, how, how does Ral make infinite mana? I, I don't think I'm... So it's not infinite mana. He's got a, a passive ability that pings one damage whenever you cast an instant or sorcery and then you play two expansions... You, you do as minus two, copy your expansion, cast an expansion, and then like you make infinite copies and deal infinite damage. What? Yeah. I have not seen that. I will tell you something wild, and that is I lost to Expansion Explosion a bunch of times this weekend while I was playing Mono Black Aggro because I lost to it against Teamerek. I lost to it, I think, against Lotus. Played it against me for the kill card one time, and I lost to it against a blue-red Lutri deck where they got Ral's Storm's Conduit out both games that they beat me and just destroyed me with Expansion Explosion in both games as well, even though they only had each one of those cards as a one-of in their deck. You can use double double cast as the other way to copy, to do an infinite combo with Ral Expansion 
and double cast. They didn't infinite me, but I'll I'll tell you like Ral in that deck, that particular blue, blue red deck was a pain in a pain. Uh, and so I am interested to see if that card comes up more often. But Expansion Explosion is just a card that I feel like is just around and going to be something in Pioneer as a giant mana sink, much as it was in Standard for a long time. So Eighth place, Jabberwocky with Sultai Delirium. Astute listeners will realize that Jabberwocky and Andrew 1232 just switched places between the Saturday <laughs> and Sunday challenges. Amazing. All right. So the weekend metagame breakdown, N equals 64. We had 23 different decks across the two top 32s Hmm. and likewise half the meta so like the top 50 percent is split across six different decks seven copies of mono black aggro for about 11 percent six copies of sultai wreck six copies of orzov auras even though none in the top eights six copies of esper control also none in the top top eights right esper control yeah five copies of oops all spells and five copies of nif to light wow look at these decks (laughs) I don't know that that's a pretty diverse pioneer metagame i gotta say one interesting thing no red cards until you get to gruel mid-range yeah red is either slightly underrepresented or underpowered in the current pioneer meta yeah i feel that no lightning bolts makes a difference so that's where we were this weekend we are not finished talking about Pioneer just yet. Let's take a quick break and look back at the last year of the sweet baby format. Try to track how we got here, where we are now, and how this compares to the actual current metagame. And maybe we can even take a minute to look ahead at how this format can continue to grow, improve, and conquer. I mean, we we are actually going to do a performance review for, for Pioneer. This is not a joke. Yeah, Dave downloaded some HR software. I did. I, I'm ready to put it into um, Zenefits. <laughs> Reviewatron 360 and then upload it as Zenefits. Yeah, exactly. HR people, I don't I know that that didn't mean anything. So stay with us. October 21st, 2019. A day that for the you know, most of us probably featured something we hadn't experienced before, which is the announcement of a brand new way to play Magic the Gathering in a legitimate competitive manner. Most of us haven't didn't experience that before, huh? I think most of us did not. Hmm. Most of us. On that day, unless you had been playing Magic in 2011 when Modern was announced, <coughs> like Dave, yeah, <coughs> none of us here had had the opportunity to explore a brand new way to play Magic, or at least something like, you know, at the GP level. Hey, tiny leader side defense. Canadian Highlander, tiny leader, stuff like that. That's always been, you know, rising, falling, appearing, gaining traction, losing traction. I mean, we're not even going to talk about the fact that I was around when Type 2 was invented, huh? Is that a, is that a thing? Yeah, is that, um, wow, yes. Type 2 means standard, Shane. Oh. What, what was there before Type 2? There was just Type 1. There was just play with the magic cards you had. And then they split it into Type 1 and Type 2, which was vintage, essentially, as Type 1, and standard, essentially, as Type 2. And then everything has kind of come from there. That and star magic. Cool story, Dave, of yeah. your long longevity in Magic. So, I mean, of course, even Popper became like an officially supported format by Watsy in 2019. But Dave, I mean, you actually were playing when Modern was announced, right? Yeah, I mean, I was playing Limited mostly at that time in my Magic relationship. Um, I, I only wanted to mention this really quickly, uh, other than to brag, um, to just kind of say, 
it's interesting to think about and the relationship between those announcements when they happen, because I think when Modern was announced, people were, it was a little bit more muted of a reaction than Pioneer. When Pioneer was announced, I feel like there was a lot of kind of oh, yeah. social media excitement and hype. It might have just been a different era of the internet and also a different era of magic in the sense that like, you know, 2011 was during Scars of Mirrodin block, essentially, I believe. Um, and that was the last block that was inducted into modern. Like that was where it, it ended, you know, meaning it was the most recent one. And I think that people recognize the fact that extended, which was the format that essentially modern eventually replaced was not very good, not very popular. Yeah. Extended was a rotating format. It was only, it was four years of cards at a time basically. And so car sets would still fall out. And I think people were kind of frustrated with that aspect of it because between legacy and and extended and standard there really wasn't anywhere to play these powerful cards that people had from what essentially became the modern era and so while it was a more muted reaction i think that people also understood that it was replacing something that needed to be fixed and the difference between that and pioneer is that pioneer was kind of like i don't think that people totally felt that something needed to be fixed. It felt like they were just waiting for something new. And that's kind of what Pioneer stepped into. People have been messing around with Frontier and those kind of things. And, you know, in a lot of ways, Pioneer's very close to what Frontier could have been. Kind of interesting. People never had a lot of affinity for extended slash type 1.5 until Modern came around. And that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. I mean, Pioneer really was announced with a bang. Right. Like Watsi and tournament organizers clearly had plans for the format. Like it was planned as part of the Players Tour series in 2020. There was PTQ and format challenge support on Magic Online. Channel Fireball immediately announced Pioneer GPs that were taking place in early 2020. I think SCG did the same. You know, Watsi was also really clear on what they expected Pioneer to be. And so let's let's talk about that because I think it sort of sets a framework for a lot of what we'll talk about later, which is first they wanted it to fill the gap that existed between standard because they saw standard as the way new players are onboarded to competitive constructed and modern had cards that were now up to 16 years old. And so the conceit that modern is a way to use your standard cards after rotation wasn't really fair any longer because the card pool was so large. And so Pioneer is trying to bridge that gap, right? And meet the needs of, in quotes, a diverse, growing, and stratified player base. You know, fundamentally, it was like Watsi just really wanted to give new players an easier entry into a non-rotating format and something they could do with their standard cards that didn't involve like dropping 70 bucks on a single Scalding Tarn or like 45 on a Snapcaster Mage or something like that, right? Oh, those sound like great investments. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so Pioneer began with uh, Return to Ravnica, and the intention was they wanted to have a big enough card pool to provide like these cross-block synergies, and the initial ban list was only five cards, the, the cons fetch lands. That's a pretty big difference, right, from modern? It is a big difference from modern. I do want to interject here really quickly. The stuff that you've talked up to until now covers everything that Wizards said about what their goals were for the Pioneer format from its inception, right? As far as why they launched it, what they want to do with it, this is what they shared with us. Yeah, that was there was nothing about like, this is going to be a turn five format or anything like that. You know, I don't know if that was 
overt when they announced modern like they didn't announce modern as the turn four format that sort of like came out in the wash right correct yeah but they weren't like yeah they weren't like this is going to be you know we imagine that this would be a battlefield base where people can use the powerful creatures we've been making or something like that right it was just kind of like here's a format it's easier to get into than modern for newer players let's have some fun and we want the mana to not be as abusive so we're getting rid of fetch lands yeah, so yeah, you, you can't have your three and four color good stuff decks. They they thought it would add to diversity, make decks not be like good stuff piles. You can't? And no, I mean... Should well, I take they, these, Uro, these Uros and Rex and put them somewhere? Anyway. I mean, they, they probably, they had to have known that the Triumphs were in were in play. Um, and of, of course, the, the mana in Pioneer has been really impactful on how things have played out, right? Like, of course, you know my laments about allied mana. The lack of fetches have been a big difference from modern. The lack of balanced allied and enemy color mana has been a big impact on the format. And I think we've seen the impact on that over the first year, and we can talk about that a little bit later, I imagine, in more detail. The the most interesting thing, I think, about the way that this format was launched was the ban list process. When so like they of course we we said they came in with the fetches. They didn't want any fetch shock interactions because of course we have all the shocks from Ravnica sets, right? And those are like maybe the most perfect dual lands ever made as far as competitive balance goes. Yeah, right. I mean I don't know how people really feel about it, but like they seem like they're generally safe. They're gen you know, they have a real downside when you think about playing them. Certainly in modern they do weird things because of certain other synergies, but in Pioneer, they're not abusive in any way. They're just good. That's how I feel about fast lands too, right? Like there's there's trade-offs in, in both of these lands, whether it's your tempo if you draw them late or have to play them late or the life loss if you need them untapped early type thing. So yeah, I think their Pioneer does have some good balanced dual lands, and that is one advantage of the format for sure. Yeah, but like you said, Shane, the real difference yeah. is the ban list yeah. in this one because when Modern came out, they insta-banned a bunch of cards. And that was kind of predicated on, like, what, dangerous standards and extended decks? I mean, it was, I think a lot of it had to do with extended, really, more than anything else. I mean, that's how Dark Depths got banned. That's how um, Stoneforge Mystic and Jace got banned. In particular, one thing I found interesting is not too long after Modern's inception, they switched a Pro Tour format from extended to modern because they said that so many players had reached out to them to say that extended was terrible because like 70% of the decks in the meta were Stoneblade decks yeah. in extended, which interestingly, they wrote an article that was like, we don't think this is true, but we're still going to switch formats because people want us to. So it was kind of like that Pioneer yeah, everything's fine. Ban list where they're like, well, people don't really have the the data and the data doesn't bear out what they're saying, but we're going to do it anyway. Kind of a weird callback when I when I dug that article up. So we, we keep avoiding this conversation topic about the ban list. No, but I think I think it's worth pointing out. They took a fundamentally different approach, right? They said, we're going to let people work in the lab. We have magic online as a venue for people to do it. And we're going to find out what happens. And that, that was kind of a gutsy move because they were they're coming off of an even a standard era where there were a bunch of bands like Kaladesh Power, you know, we had things like uh, Aetherworks Marvel and Emrakul the Promise and and you know other cards I'm forgetting. I mean Smuggler's Copter, Reflector Mage, Felidar Guardian, and they were just like, Look, we're gonna see what happens. We're not gonna just reban these cards. You all have fun. That led to a pretty tumultuous 
you know, first few months even of the format. And I think one that was exciting and potentially frustrating to some people because there was sort of like, you know, we can talk about the financial stuff perhaps later, but I think that there was like both a fear of missing out and then a fear of like the powerful thing getting banned, which was a weird balance to be involved in if you wanted to buy into paper. And I think it definitely burned me a little bit and some other players. But yeah, like even Sam Black was saying like, hey, like you need to be trying to get something banned here. Like you need to be doing the busted thing. And I think what's funny, though, is like the concepts on what breaking it would involve were somewhat off because I looked at a bunch of early articles about the format, like what people were expecting to be the pillars of Pioneer, how people were thinking about approaching it and beginning to approach the format competitively. And people's minds perhaps unsurprisingly, were quickly going to those cards I mentioned, the ones that defined their respective eras, or were like outright banned in Standard or Modern. So we have like Aetherworks Marvel or Rally of the Ancestors, Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise, Deathrite Shaman, Smuggler's Copter, Collected Company, Nexus of Fate, Field of the Dead, like Stan said, Felidar Guardian and Sahili Rai combo. All of these cards were literally on the table as options to be used and perhaps abused in this new format. Like, you know, SCG's Abraham Stein wrote this article three days after Pioneer was announced, made this really interesting observation and astute observation, I think, that there wasn't a lot of cheap interaction beyond like Thoughtseize and Fatal Push. So he was already guessing that mana elves and low cost red creatures could be really powerful options early on in the format. Um, Jerry Thompson promised that Aetherworks Marvel would dominate Pioneer because of its inherent power level and all of the great payoffs that Marvel had access to. And, you know, some of these predictions were great. Some of these predictions were not so great. And I think what was really interesting here was that the predicted Pioneer metagame was like this blend between make your great standard decks better with the increased card pool or make your existing modern decks a little bit worse. Totally right. I mean, it's so interesting that that was what everybody's predictions were. I think reality turned out to be very different. Yeah. You know, what really happened early on was not necessarily what a lot of people were expecting. Like, so the, the, the first thing that happened and I didn't see too much press about Felidar Sahili combo, surprisingly, um, that began to immediately dominate early tournaments. And then we were seeing like weird, just fair piles, like Sultai control decks with, I mean, it did feature a notably fair card, Oko Thief of Crowns. Mm. God, I missed that guy. <laughs> I just unsleeved a whole bunch of decks from earlier this year. Like I just organized all my cards on Saturday night. I spent like five hours putting everything back in the boxes. And I had a deck with Once Upon a Time together still and another deck with Oko together still that I hadn't sorted back. And I was like, yikes. Uh, some good cards. <laughs> yeah. Is it Phoenix, though, was one of those like modern detuned modern decks that was like an early favorite that was showing up and people were winning with like it was all over like the top 16s, I think just simply because of the quantity of players that wanted to make this thing work. And then Mono Green Devotion, like Abe uh, thought, was quickly did become one of the more popular and powerful decks in the first few weeks as well. And so after these results started coming in, November 4th, we got our first bannings. And the first deck to get the axe was, of course, Cat Combo. Felidar Guardian in the ban bin. Um, Cat Combo, of course, did act much like kind of the twin of the format. You had to have specific interaction at the right time or you're going to lose the game too quickly. And I think people weren't really surprised by that. That was a, a deck that got banned in standard and it had to get banned here um, as well. I feel like that deck was around for 
literally one minute in Pioneer. Yeah, two. I think it was. I think it was two weeks. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, two weeks before the first band announcement. It was like so short that I had all the cards for the deck, and I didn't even bother <laughs> sleeving it up because I was just like, this deck is not going to survive, and I'm not going to get to play Magic in the next two weeks. So, yeah. Um, but what I think was perhaps surprising is that two of the first three bannings were for for um, the Mono Green Ramp deck, which was Leyland of Abundance and Oath of Nyssa. And they just let these Mono Green deck ramp like crazy, get devotion like crazy, and they were blowing everything else out of the water. Like, remember when Todd Anderson was streaming all of his events and like top eating everything on stream and getting like 800 viewers or something like that by the end of his streams with his uh, Mono Green uh, devotion decks? Yeah. And remember that Oath of Nyssa was in something like half the Pioneer decks in the first weeks of the format? Like, it was everywhere. Oath of Nyssa was everywhere. I didn't realize that. I mean, Oath was in the Sahili decks, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was a huge, huge enabler for that that strategy. And, and It was a four-color deck, Sahili. Yeah. Um, then a week later, of course, Veil of Summer was toast because green-based aggro and ramp decks were still too good. Uh, December 2nd, we lost Smuggler's Copter, Field of the Dead, and Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time, even after three bands, more stuff needed to go from these mono-green decks. I mean, Once Upon a Time is just a broken card. Yeah. Guys, I uh, have so many Smuggler's Copters. I don't know if you remember me talking about this at the time, but I have them, and I was away for Thanksgiving. When I was a, I was going to buy list them before I left for Thanksgiving, and when I came back, they were worth nothing again i mean it was just too good and that it was like a tier the, the mono black deck was basically tier zero like it was just so good and so on plan and then of course feel of the dead is just one of the more broken lands ever printed and so that had to go as well uh later in december we lose oko before it before it was lost in modern it was gone in, in pioneer uh nexus uh nexus of fate yeah that's gone predictably and so that is perhaps surprisingly, it was surprising to me, the extent of the early bannings in Pioneer. The, the, the weekly bans stop uh, as of January 6th. We head into 2020. Uh, Dave, what, you counted eight cards that got banned? Let me double check. One, two, three. <laughs> I mean, it, it was fewer than 10. And that's actually not that bad. I was surprised when I thought of, when I saw that number. I was like, I remember at the time feeling a little bit more like stuff's getting banned all the time. It's really exciting. Blah, 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 blah. You know, Watsy's going to go to lunch at Applebee's and then come back and ban something. Yeah. It was like four, it was just four bannings, four ban announcements, more, a more innocent time. Yeah. What do y'all think about that? Let's, let's, let's talk about this now. Like, what do you think about this initial, initial approach? Love it. Not, not only because it was a novel approach to banning just in general, but I felt like this was a, a really interesting experiment in giving players a lot of agency into defining the format that they want to engage with. For real. Like, I think it was a good, I think it was a good move myself. Fortunately, this era of cards doesn't really have the supply problems that some of modern had. And so, you know, when modern started, there were already cards that were worth a bunch of money that were in the format. And it was a little bit less so with, with pioneer. And so it was a little easier for them to ban cards here and there. Many of these cards were just like, former standard glories that were just hanging out somewhere waiting for an EDH deck to want one of them, you know? Yeah, I, I learned that for sure. Like the, the, the supply crunch, like the tension on supply in these cards was not there in the same way at all. Like you, you really didn't have to jump quickly and avoid getting like burned on a lot of these cards at all. And that, that taught me a lesson for sure. And that was sort of like my early experiences with that format where 
A, it was super fun to buy up like a bunch of these old random standard cards like Rekindling Phoenix that were suddenly in the dollar bin um, just because of like, oh, maybe I can finally play this cool card in a format where it'll be playable because we know it'll probably never be playable in modern. But on the other hand, you also kind of were signing this contract because you know like anything could get banned next week. So it was, it was this nice way to like swallow that pill. Like, yeah, these cards might get burned, but it's not like I'm spending a fortune for them either. So it was just, it was a fun journey from the consumer perspective as well. For real. Let's keep pushing forward. Uh, and so by early 2020, after the initial bannings, we were seeing kind of things like Chonky Red, Golgari Scales, Mono Black, Is It In Soul, Azorius Spirits, Golgari Aggro. These are kind of like our staples. And then Niv to Light sort of came as like our over the top, like I'm going to beat all the other slower, mid-rangey kind of decks like that. And I think this was like, this was an interesting time for Pioneer and perhaps maybe the most successful. I think it was the most fun personally. I mean, it's the time that I played the most Pioneer. Agreed. It was when it felt like the nonsense had been taken care of. Um, we haven't entered the combo meta yet. And it just felt like we were in that phase that we had sort of defined as a podcast, where it's like combat matters and board states matter. And this is sort of the epitome of that era in Pioneer. We might ha be in that again now. We'll get to that later. But I think when we kind of talk about the golden age of Pioneer, this was when we started to see the possibilities of how this format could be excellent. And I think it was really popular at this time, too. You know, like I remember so many people talking about Chonky Red. We had some moments where, you know, our Pioneer episodes were more popular than our modern episodes. The um, Just to let you behind the curtain, I got to play Boros Feather. That was sweet because I like decks like that. We were getting reports from patrons that are like, my LGS doesn't support mo modern anymore. Everyone's just playing Pioneer. Yeah. We were having in Chicago, like an LGS doing Pioneer modern tournaments back to back and people just doing like a GP every Sunday. Yeah. Like eight, eight, 10 rounds of magic on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> but this golden age couldn't live for too long. I mean, it could have, but, <laughs> but we, we, after a few months of all this experimentation and creativity and the bannings. Theros Beyond Death, January 24th. Some important cards come out. Heliod Suncrowned, Underworld Breach, Thassa's Oracle. Yeah, I mean, that's just the first three. But by the way, note that that was 18 days between the final banning in Pioneer that got rid of... What got rid on January 6th again? No, no, it was, it was the, it was, there was a late December Oko ban and then they were like, we're gonna, we might stop. And then they stopped. So basically it was like four weeks, probably three to four weeks. A month over Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was our golden age. We had Heliod, Sun Crowns, Underworld Breach, and Thassa's Oracle. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know what decks those go in. I'm not really gonna repeat this for you all, but yeah, they all were involved in combo decks uh, or like decks that had combo wins and they got to those combo wins in different ways. And they were very powerful very early. And Demir Inverter was likely the worst culprit of the three and the, likely and the one that people didn't really see coming. Yeah. I think people knew Thassa's Oracle was medium powerful, but I don't... People identified that Heliod combo like minute one. Exactly. As soon as the card got spoiled, they saw yeah. the, the synergy with Walking Ballista. And people called the Walking Ballista getting banned, and you know what? They did. Eventually. It took a while. Yeah. But anyway, um, spoilers. Yeah, so like Demir Inverter is obviously 
wildly powerful, right? Especially in like the hands of skilled players who can navigate these like control combo lines. Like, and so like we got our first GPs in February and Nagoya was the first one that was tons of visit in Seoul. But then Phoenix was right after that. Inverter took five of the top eight spots. Um, it got refined some more. The, the February 22nd was, I believe the only SCG open that had this, or maybe the, I think that was the Invitational actually, perhaps. Um, four of the top eight were Demir Inverter, and then the counterplay of Mono White Devotion took the two other, two, two of the other slots, and just demonstrating the dominance of these combo strategies and good players, you know, like Collins Mullen and Pete Ingram were, you know, running Demir Inverter and winning with it, right? But Wasn't Zach Allen too? I mean, that, that was the top eight that was like a ton of people, right? Uh, I don't, I mean, don't put, don't put me on the spot. Don't put me on the spot. Dave. I'm pretty sure there were, there were more than, than just those two guys. In oh yeah. I mean, there's, eight. there's, there's some good players doing good things, but Watsi's not banning anything, right? Like they're, they're, they, they had been monitoring and responding to these winning decks and they let these decks ride for a while. Well, it had only been two months since their last ban and at least two <laughs> yeah, weeks of yeah. that was basically out of, but I mean, seriously, two weeks of that, that two months was, was the Christmas holiday. Sure. So there's not a ton of magic that goes on around then. So we maybe had six weeks of, of play. We maybe had three weeks of data and yeah, then, yeah, that's the, fair. And then the, we world had the GPs and stuff. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily right to expect them to do anything right away. And then the world exploded. Yeah, well, then well, even even in March, like you said, they they explained that the play rates and win rates of the decks weren't statistically oppressive, so everything's fine. Don't worry, we're good. Then the world explodes in March. We have a we have a global pandemic. You know, impacts all of our lives in pretty disastrous ways. Paper play is just stopped. Magic as a game had to keep going, though. Well, let, let's stop here for one second. Okay, we should stop. Okay, because Give this is due. something that people point to a lot as far as what is going on with Pioneer. Well, you'll hear me say this a lot later. Are you going to say it a lot? Oh, a lot. A lot, oh. a lot. All right. Well, spoilers. Drink every time <laughs> Shane mentions COVID. But for real, like, this is a big question into what happened to Pioneer. And I think we'll all have slightly different opinions about what it means. But I just want to emphasize that it was only four months after the format was, or five months after the format was announced that this happened. And again, part of that time was at the back half of a year where there's a lot of holidays where people aren't playing a lot of magic, you know, or between the Thanksgiving and Christmas time. So we have October, Pioneer's the thing, a couple months go by with the holidays, a couple months we have our first GPs, and then boom. So it's less than six months where this happens. And that... That stunk. Like, that was a big hit. That was a lot of wind out of the sails, right? Both, like, people's just mental state and, you know, feeling of security and their ability to play in paper. Like, I, I, I went to the February GP in Phoenix and, you know, a few other citizens of the nation went there. We had a great time. It's, like, one of my favorite memories of the whole year because it was just, like, the last time I was, like, playing paper at a big event and seeing people that, like, from other cities. And it's, yeah, it's definitely been a different year yeah. since then. Um, I got married this year, but you going to Phoenix is still one of my favorite memories. I wasn't, too. I wasn't at your wedding. Would, <laughs> I, I think your wedding would have been a better memory, but it just, I mean, I've, I'm not traveling from Denver. <laughs> I'm just saying your trip to Phoenix meant a lot to me. You made a day too. I was so happy for you. It was a lot of fun. Um, magic had to keep going. We got, uh, I lob a Coria layer of the behemoths, uh, released to magic online and the companion era begins. Turns out companion is really good. No one expected that. 
you know, we got Luris adding cheap and effective resiliency. It made pretty good decks like Orozov Auras and Mono Red Aggro tier zero, you know, tier one. Uh, Yorion was in our slower mid-range decks and control strategies, made Inverter better slash different. It was in, you know, Niv-Mizzet, the Heliod decks, like these Jeskai and Azorius control strategies. We even had like Garuda combo decks capitalizing on weird clone effects. There were probably other decks in Pioneer running Companions. I just didn't find them very easily. Azorius and Soul featuring Luris. Oh, yeah. I remember that. You had Luris and Boros Feather. Oh, yeah. It was basically if you weren't running a Companion... In the five weeks of the original companion rule, you were doing it wrong. And everyone realized that, by and large. And so this is like the only time since when Demir Inverter became a deck that it really wasn't like the de facto sort of tier zero, tier one best thing to be doing. And it was still great. Uh, But clearly companions were too good. June 1st, the new companion rule uh, was introduced. Then that nerfed companions back into like pretty good, fair potential curiosity or addition to a deck, right? Um, Let's pause here. Yeah, let's time out. So maybe it's because it was coming on the heels of like the combo meta. Because prior to Elob, combo decks were fully the tier one of Pioneer. And we sort of had like this brief oasis in that in those, what is it, month or so when companions were, you know, quote unquote legal before they were taxed. And at that time, and this could be rose colored glasses, but I kind of felt like Pioneer was one of the few formats that maybe improved from companions. And perhaps that was relative to the fact that, like, finally I didn't have to play combo mirrors or just, like, against combo decks in every other match. And it was like, oh, we're playing Battlefield games again. Or we have, like, this weird Gyruda combo thing, as well as, like, these new control strategies. So it kind of felt like Companions on some level, in my experience, elevated the format despite their power. Or perhaps thanks to their power. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily disagree um, I think that it was at least a, it was at least a time of difference, right? Like different decks were were performing quite well, and it was a blip in the kind of combo era. So the companion era ends. We head back into the combo meta, right? And this combined with the lack of tournament and paper support for Pioneer, like it wasn't on arena. Paper play had been halted. I think this is a pretty dire period of time for the format, right? Like there's there are there's some decks like Naya Winota and Mono Black and Red Aggro and Sultai Delirium. They're making some appearances in tournaments, right? But the the metagame is pretty much ruled by Demir Inverter. It's semi counterplay in Mono White Heliod, and there's like the wild card of Lotus Breach, especially when people aren't packing their damping spheres. And so like weekend events start not firing. They're not reaching enough players. They're not reaching 64 players to make these challenges take place, right? You know, weeks go by, people are wondering why Wizards has apparently abandoned the format. Like, if events aren't happening, something's clearly wrong, and yet Watsi is not really acting, and people are getting frustrated with this. And then, like, this truly, like, M. Night, Shamalan levels of twists, like, Watsi announces an announcement for July 13th. Everyone's predicting some kind of ban, some kind of nerf, specifically on Demir Inverter, right? Instead, they unbanned Oath of Nyssa. And simultaneously tell everyone that they're wrong to think that the combo decks are too good. I'm telling you, the language of that was almost the same as the Pro Tour one that I was talking about where they switched from extended to modern. It was like, we know what's going on, but you don't, but we're still going to (laughs) listen. I remember this. I was on vacation when this happened and I I was not on the show and I was like, this is going to be interesting. And then (laughs) it was this and 
oh man, I remember listening to Ross Miriam and Todd. Oh man, they they were livid. Oh, they were yeah. livid. Oh yeah. They never recovered potentially. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I don't know if meant like not mentally, but like at, like uh, affinity wise, if they have ever recovered to the levels that they were before that. So Oath of Nissa Unban revives another combo deck in the Kethis, the Hidden Hand deck. It bumps up the power level of Mono Green Planeswalkers, and that's not all bad. And it makes it makes Niv Mizzet pretty great again. So people are groaning. Weekend events, I think, don't start firing right away. They might have because people are like, okay, we have something new to work with. But people are generally wondering what the heck. Wizards it was like, is doing. It was, it was like one event per weekend. <laughs> but like on, on July 25th, they get desperate enough to reduce the required players from Magic Online Pioneer Challenges to 32, not from 64. But this is one of those things that makes me go, well, if you have abandoned the format, why would you even bother doing this? Yeah. You know what I mean? So clearly they're paying attention to something, you know? Yeah. Maybe it was just we got to ride out the storm caused by like covid and other factors it was i mean you can re-listen to the episode find the one around july 25th or you know july 13th and have a ball you know events are still not regularly firing the community's down on pioneer three weeks later they have to act august 3rd 2020 inverter kethis walking ballista and underworld breach are all banned out of the format and the combo meta is effectively over. And we have found ourselves now in the post-combo era. And it's a weird one. It's like it's it's events have been firing regularly, but that potentially is due to the reduced number of players that are required to make these events proceed. Um, removing these combo decks from the format allowed things like Mono Green Planeswalkers, Five Color Niv to Light, uh, that you know were boosted by Return of Oath. Like I mentioned, there they were like tier one for a little while. Old style where it's like Orzov Auras and Mono Black Aggro and like various Esprit control st- shells are sticking around. Yeah, I mean those some of those decks aren't aren't around anymore. Not not in the same fashion, not at all, really. Mono Green Planeswalkers is like No, that's got that got hated out. Hey, 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 there was a Mono Green Planeswalker deck in our weekend results. It was like buried in the top 32, one of those events, but it's still there next to Phoenix. How many Boros Feathers were there? Literal zero? I think one or one or two. Hey. It's somewhere between zero and two. <laughs> Great. So after this, though, formats keep getting made. Cards keep getting printed. We get Zendikar Rising. Uh, we get an important rebalancing of Pioneer mana bases. Some of the some of the allied pairs, and we'll get the others soon um, in Kaldheim, we get the Pathway Lands, and that lets things like Gruel Aggro come back with a somewhat more competitive you know mana base to succeed with. One of the most potent mid-range threats in recent memory with Omnath, Lo- Omnath Locus of Creation, uh, slots nicely into four-color control and ramp decks and invalidates most other mid-range options like Sultai by and large. Um I mean that's a you know it's a big statement. Tough right? to but, say given the way that things have turned out recently, but yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, there, it's it's there. It's a powerful card. The flippy lands were in Zendikar Rising. The, all these oops, all spells decks now that want to get their entire deck into the graveyard and win on the next combat step if feasible. I mean, not to mention people that just play those cards because they're good. Yeah, and that there's good. There's, I mean. Yeah, the the broken thing is what I mentioned, but yeah, there's just value there that makes other decks just better. I mean, I played against black white auras over the weekend which is a big problem for mono black aggro which is the deck that i was on and um they even play that like cabria cleric which is like 
the lamest card ever. It's just like a one four and it's a flip land and like, that's it. And you put an aura on it and I cannot attack through it. And uh, our combo deck that exists anymore is the Lotus Field. It's kind of just the more most powerful sort of straight combo strategy. If you don't want to consider the oops all spells, I cast a spell, uh, a combo, um, as long as I can dodge Damping Sphere. So that's kind of like, that's the story. I think of the the first year of, of Pioneer, there's some ups and downs and some some big chasms, perhaps. But that kind of brings us to where we are today. And Stan, I know you did my favorite thing, which is make a pivot table. I mean, it's my favorite thing too. Go ahead, Dave. That's a roller coaster. Yes. I mean, I was trying to interject there a couple times just to be like, take (laughs) a breath. Like we, I know that we're trying to get through this quick, but like, what a year. There's a lot of information in that year. I mean, you know, it's an, if say, if we were doing a thing where Pioneer was an employee, I would say that they had a, a really promising start to their year, followed by a lot of tumults and and chaos later on yeah they had some personal some personal health issues well we would never count that against anybody oh that's that's a good point but i do think that they lost their focus they lost their way somewhere in there and well you know what part of it is i think the 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 role and responsibility of the position was ill-defined from the onset so they sort of showed up unsure of what they were supposed to do from nine to five spoilers let's take it to the next part but i love that tone stan i love your hr tone it made me respect and fear you all right stan stan you want to give us a quick rundown of like what the recent meta looks like the the post combo of of course yeah so um you know last week we did a kind of um what's the healthy format look like and i developed what i like to call a diversity model that i'm very pleased with and i want to apply it to everyone and everything so i applied my diversity model to pioneer um and what i did specifically was i looked at every Pioneer Challenge Top 8 since Zendikar Rising was added to Magic Online. We have 96 decks. Okay. 96 96 entries, you mean. So you have 96 divided by 8 number of events. Correct. Got it. Okay. Is what, like 12 events? I mean, I'm not a doctor. Yeah, we. so we got 12 events, 96 entries. Across all of our Top 8s, we saw 22 different decks. Okay. With some internal variations, you know, especially among the different flavors of Uro Pile with or without Omnath, I tried to boil all the Uro control strategies into one. I did not include Sultai Delirium as an Uro Pile. That feels like a different deck to me. I found that the most popular deck across top eights was still Mono Black Aggro, 14 entries in the 96 deck sample size. I also spread it out across super types, uh, aggro, mid range, control, and combo. Agro was the most popular, nine different decks, and had 38 finishes across top eights. That's huge. Wait a minute. 38? Mm-hmm. So, not, so it's like a third of the meta? Yeah. Yeah, give or take. It's still aggro. Okay. Second most popular was, in fact, Control. Six different decks, but 22 finishes. And the Uro Pile was the most popular one there, I think, to no one's surprise. Followed by Midrange. We often say that like Midrange feels kind of absent from the format, but it wasn't like totally absent from my sample size uh, at least compared to combo which i'll get into but mid-range six different decks same as control uh with 22 finishes niftalite and gruel mid-range were tied 
I could potentially move Gruel into the aggro category, which would make the aggro category even more popular and mid-range a little smaller, but then it's like five decks instead of six. Wow. Yeah, I mean, worth noting that when I said 30% for aggro, it was actually closer to 40%, so it's already approaching half of the meta. So moving Gruel over to that would be easily, you know, high 40s. And then finally, Combo, the smallest pie. Only nine Combo decks finished in the top eights. Uh, since Zendikar was added, and it was all across two different versions. It was the Lotus combo and Oops All Spells. Lotus was the more popular of the two. And finally, I looked at color representation across our supertypes and found that every supertype does feature five colors of magic. So, like, if you want to play green aggro, green midrange, green control, you can do that. Uh, the one exception was combo, which was limited to Oops All Spells and Lotus Field, so you didn't have true five-color representation there. You know, we'll talk about room for improvement, but that's kind of the state of the meta right now from a very high level perspective. The state of the competitive meta, to be more specific. If you look at, you know, deck dumps, uh, top 32s, that lens expands, of course. But this is like the 22 decks that we come to see most often in high level competitive results. I mean, what do you think about this at a glance, Stan? Like, how do you feel about this distribution across the super types? So my perspective is colored by the exercise we did last week with modern, where it's just like, even though the spread is similar in terms of like aggro being the most popular, mid-range and control kind of being equal and combo being the smallest, we're still looking at fewer than 10 decks in some cases per super type. And if all cases, actually fewer than 10 in all. Aggro might be 10, like okay. depending on how you categorize Gruel. It's called Gruel Midrange and Goldfish. I think it's an aggro deck, but I put into midrange here. Okay. I think it comes down to personal preference and the type of gameplay you enjoy because Pioneer does have a certain gameplay identity these days, um, mostly in terms of the type of control and aggro strategies that are most successful. But I think the format has room for improvement based on this high level perspective in the form of more deck diversity that we can hopefully achieve over time. So there you have it. That's what the metagame looks like in this current moment. I expect it's going to change again in a few months once we get uh, call time. I think that's the next set. That's correct. Cold land. Cold land, USA. (laughs) All right, Shane. Yes. You, You took us through the history. Stan gave us a sense of what the meta looks like right now. What do you think the history adds up to? What, what's the, what's the, what do you want us to take away from the history? Who? I don't know. <laughs> what do I want to take? What should people take away from the history? You know, here's what I'll take away from the history. You can't build a successful format in just a year. Maybe you could if there wasn't a global pandemic. But I think even if we took COVID out of the picture, we would still like be going through a lot of the same growing pains. Yeah, I think like what I, what I think I want people to take away from the history, and I think we're going to expand on what this means is I think players and Watsi as a company have some things to learn from. And our employee pioneer has some things to learn about as well. Wait, Dave, answer your own question. What's your takeaway from that history? Uh, My, I think my biggest takeaway from this is that pioneer is subjected to many of the same card design problems that standard is right now. It's not as well insulated from the current design philosophy as I believe modern is. Modern has the ability to adjust and kind of absorb these super powerful things that that 
is are happening maybe a little bit more than pioneer does now does that mean that those cards don't show up in modern it doesn't because they do show up in, in modern and they show up in legacy i would argue that i don't know if the defense if the evidence actually supports that dave because companions didn't have the same impact on standard that they did on pioneer and i feel like the pioneer the impact companions had on pioneer was closer to that of modern for one uh standard certainly didn't have like this weird combo like era after uh eldraine or no theros got printed yeah but it's had many many bannings uh in the same way that pioneers had many many bannings but part of that was by design right like the first eight bannings were were done to yeah develop this format yeah I mean, I don't know. I think that that largely, well, we can talk about this more, but that, that's kind of my take is like, this is a reminder that this format that only goes back seven years is highly impacted by new cards, whereas modern is impacted by new cards. But I think it's not as much as um, Pioneer turned out to be. Mm-hmm. Let's get into this performance review, Dave. I mean, look, this is like a fun thing I wanted to do. Nobody likes to do performance reviews you know that's why i was trying to do some jokes about we're we're late with it and corporate's calling us for it like performance reviews are uncomfortable for everybody right wait but you I didn't that, actually get a phone call at the top of the show if, i mean i don't know who you thought would have been on the other end of that phone Mary Jane stand. didn't call you from corporate <laughs> exactly tanner from corporate's calling us he needs the performance reviews i mean the thing is it's interesting like i thinking about what's the best way to talk about pioneer's birthday essentially is where this episode started right all of us were like well we should really think about this yeah they've gone through the, they've gone through like the one year trial period yeah well let's have, let's see where how we stand the more i thought about it the more it felt like some of the awkward performance reviews i've had to give people over the years where it's like there's been really great things and really bad things it and it felt like uh uncomfortable more in that way emotionally than when we talk about like modern like when you guys talked about modern last week there are tons of people who are annoyed about stuff in modern like everybody hates uro everybody hates something in modern you know what i mean but like it still feels like there's been a lot of solid uh engagement in that format especially the last like three or four months but when people talk about pioneer it's like oh that guy was so great but then he said some problematic stuff over lunch and now nobody wants to ask him to fix their (laughs) computers anymore. You know, like that's, that's pioneer. And so that's why I felt like we should tap into that, like that flavor with this performance review idea. And so what I did was I actually went and researched common performance uh, review, like structures. Mm -hmm. And I found one that made me laugh because it's a, hideous reflection of the episode that Stan and Shane put together last week because it is called the good performance review format. So it's got an acronym. You always got to love HR stuff that has an acronym in it. And uh, it's a like twisted reflection of the good format idea where people, you know, have this discussion with their bosses about their goals, obstacles, opportunities, and decisions that they need to make. And it just felt like it could work for how we think about pioneer. And so I actually went and I filled out the good performance review for pioneer. And I think we should all talk about it now. So the G in good stands for goals. 
Oh, good. We, we have some of those. We do have some of those, actually. And so I think the first thing we would ask, and what we would ask any employee that we were talking about after a year of of work and their annual review would be, how have you performed against the goals that you set for yourself last year? How are you feeling about how you did? What were they? All that kind of stuff. And so as a small refresher, you know, Shane laid out earlier that the goals that they basically laid out for Pioneer were fill the gap between modern and standard, ban fetches to make the mana less less easy to splash, and adjust quickly for bannings. That's basically it. So what do you, how do you think they performed against those goals? Did they do those things? Yes, I think they did do those things. <laughs> I mean, filling the gap between modern and standard is like sort of a undefined goal. It's like, it's sort of like a, hey, this, this exists, so it does fill a gap. But in what way did it want to fill a gap? Like, did it want to have the same number of concurrent players in like a Magic Online league? Did it want to have the same number of GPs? Or, you know, what I mean, it's like, what does filling the gap mean? Like just existing as an option for people? Or, you know, what's a defined measure of what that actually would be? Like, what's success there, right? How so, is it measurable? Right. So I, I'm not sure if like there was ever a mono black aggro deck that kind of resembled Pioneers. I think we can agree that there was definitely a Burroughs Feather deck in Standard that did. We know there was an Izzet Phoenix deck that kind of did. So there's there's some of that. Like there is a little bit of application of your old Standard decks can be tuned. Definitely in like uh, Red Green Monsters, right? With Llanowar Elves and um, Rabble Master. Rabble Master or something like that. So So we have a little bit of that, A. I think at first they were able to adjust quickly to bannings out the gate. They were great at it. Eventually things slow down. The world slowed down and Wizards of the Coast with it. And I'm thinking specifically of the combo era. They were quick to adjust to companions unilaterally across magic, not so much to combo decks in Pioneer. And then, of course, like ban fetches they did that so like easy a but no i actually think i i have small problems with each one of these in some ways so mm. number one did this fill the gap between modern and standard yes but they also introduced another way to fill the gap between modern and standard that people are becoming engaged in historic let me ask you a question when was historic introduced as a format don't look it up i think it was before pioneer Stan, what do you think? I, I think so, too. Because I think that was when the first rotation happened since Arena went gold. Historic was introduced as a format on in an announcement on June 27th of 2019. It was introduced before Pioneer. Yeah, because I even remember when Pioneer dropped, people were like, well, what the heck am I supposed to do with Historic? What is this? Because Historic was kind of like the wrong way to do it. They were just like, here's this thing you can engage with. And you can buy m cards outright. Right. And Pioneer was sort of like, at first, the right way to do it, which is like, here's this new format to engage with. Oh, we're also supporting it with like a bunch of high-level tournaments. And we're putting an effort into it. Yeah, but then Historic was... And then, then the pandemic hit, and all of a sudden, that was the option for the space. Maybe more so than Pioneer. Anyway, yeah. so that's my problem I, with that one. I think you're getting some future points, for sure. Future points, for sure. There's more to talk about with that. Sure. Number two, ban the fetches so that the meta is less easy to splash. I would say it didn't work. Honestly, like, how could we be running decks with Uro so easily if it worked? Or Niv, 
for that yeah. matter. Like, I don't think it actually met the goal that they stated. Does that mean I think they should unban the fetches? It does not. But but what I'm saying is that there are still lots of good stuff piles in this format. And those were around before the Triomes, even. And that's driven by other things. That's driven by current card design more so than it is the mana. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. I would say the same thing. Like we had five color Niv-Mizzet decks before we even had the Triomes, which people can point to as like issues, perhaps that make yeah. it too easy. But those weren't even required. I'm, I may have to agree to disagree. I don't see why five colors of mana being viable in a format without fetches is a problem. I don't think it's a problem. They just said that they think that they would try to disincentivize that yeah. by banning the fetches so that we don't have a bunch of good stuff decks. And I... I'm saying that that turned out to not be the thing that really led to those good stuff decks being possible. Is the subtext there like lands aren't the thing that leads to good stuff. It's the good permanence that they printed this year. It's a bit of both, but most of my subtext is the incentives are, or the good stuff is so good that we're ignoring the downside of the mana, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And then adjusting quickly to bannings, like you all said, they did it great for a while and then they stopped. But these are really shallow goals. I think yes. that's that's the main problem that I have with this is like, hey, you know, this is a these are maybe OK when you're like the new person in the office and you're like, I'm trying to establish myself. Uh, I want to try to have a couple of goals that I know I'm going to hit. And and they did. And that's fine. You know, but like coming into year two, I think the second half of like any goals discussion in a performance review is like, what should our goals be? from here? And I think that's the part where I'm a worried about what that answer is going to be. And B, there hasn't been any answer there lately. I don't even know what the players want those goals to be. And I think that's the thing that that is the the hardest part for me. But what do you think? I mean, should it be, should we state some goals for, for Pioneer? I know some people wrote like a format manifesto about Pioneer a couple of months back. I, I don't know if the content of that is great or if that's something that Wizards would want to do. How would we refresh the brand of Pioneer going into year two in a way that would make people want to engage more? Yeah, it's like, like, give us a reason, give us more reasons for your case of staying on at the company, right? Like, filling a gap between monitor and standard isn't anything that people really seem to care about right now, right? Like, there's there's definitely, I think, an opportunity to have a really large player base in Pioneer, whether that's paper or on Arena eventually, hopefully, but because players don't always have the budget for modern, they they might have got into magic via arena and pioneer would offer that new way to play. Um, and it could mirror legitimate paper and magic online format in that way on arena and historic doesn't do that. Right. So there's like an opportunity for that, but they don't seem to have a great way to like say, Hey, pioneer needs to exist because of this, because people are abandoning modern because it's too expensive, not happening really. Do you know what I mean? Like, Stan, you have some nice goals here in the notes that I want to get to for like, let's say for a, a pioneer future. Yeah, I'm really good at work coming up with lofty goals that sound great on paper, but are hard to deliver on. And that's kind of how I rode my entire career. It's perfect. You know, sometimes it's better to have vision than it is to have execution. Oh, and I have 2020. This is my vision for a brighter pioneer future. Uh, I think I have what, three? No, four points here. First... And and I, I will say, like, I'm applying some of my personal bias here, so feel free to challenge or disagree with any of these. But first, I want a more diverse landscape, and especially more diversity within the super types. 
um you know the problem with the combo era was that it was like combo was the most popular deck and like aggro mid-range and control were smaller i would love if it was just a more even playing field and we had 10 different aggro mid-range combo decks i think people would be happier than two and more likely to engage because there was more ways to you know apply themselves into this game based on the type of gameplay that they enjoy do you want me to read my whole list or do you guys want to react to that first one <laughs> do, do you, i mean i think do, interesting do, does anyone else want there to be more decks in pioneer I feel like it's just a consequence of card pool, like right, like diversity within within super archetype type things is like, hey, in in modern you can play burn or prowess or Rakdos prowess or infect or humans, and the general idea of get the opponent dead still applies. It just sort of happens in slightly different ways, and I think that you have maybe half the decks that do the same thing in pioneer where it's like you can do your orzov auras or your orzov humans or your gruel aggro or boros wizards or things like that like i think it's like the scale is perhaps not the same in terms of controlling strategies or mid-range strategies or especially kind of like ramp i think it's not super resented in pioneer unless now with the omnath decks it's a little bit different but i mean I think it's important to have diversity within super super types, but I, I don't necessarily think that pi- I should expect more out of Pioneer in that sense. All right, my second my second goal: resilience from new cards. So this does channel a little bit of what Dave was saying earlier, but I think people will remain unhappy long term if every new set fundamentally changes the face of Pioneer, and I don't think it should necessarily every three months get overrun with whatever the most powerful standard deck is for a given season. I think it's difficult. You know, people say that, that new standard sets have too much of an impact on modern even, you know what I mean? And I think that's more because there are cards that they put into sets that are more appropriate for non-rotating play than they are for um, standard play. Right. Arclight Phoenix is a big example of a card that was like okay in standard, but very powerful in modern, as as we all know. And that's because of the incentives that were set up to make the card work. A hol- a, you know, Hollow One is another card, and Stitcher Supplier is another one. The space between how decks are good in Pioneer and how decks are good in standard is not large enough yet to have that similar thing. So I think I think you're right. Like it's unclear what the mechanics are that pioneer is really looking to exploit that would make that card space be open for a little bit of design that's aimed solely at it so that in a new, when a new set comes out, you can have cards that affect pioneer, but don't affect standard. Instead, what we have are cards that are very good in standard and then they get supercharged when they go into pioneer kind of for the most part. I mean, underworld breach, that's a card that really made a bigger impact in Pioneer than it did in, in Standard, for example. But 2021 goal number three, arena support. And this one, this one comes with a bit of a caveat for me. But I do think that the sooner this happens, the better off the format's gonna be, because you're just gonna have way more people playing it. Um, I don't necessarily want Pioneer to be the best format in the world, per se. Like I'm happy with Modern being my favorite format. If Pioneer's your favorite format, more power to you. But I think it has the potential to maybe be the best format on arena at some point um, because historic has like its own issues to overcome because it's kind of, it's, it's the vintage of arena. It's the place where you can play literally every card, including like weird supplementary products like jumpstart 
whereas Pioneer, it still has that standard filter, which I think is really important. Um, I will say the one caveat that I aforementioned is the economy. Like the arena economy, I think, can be an obstacle to Pioneer success in that format as well. But because of the popularity of Arena, we know it's wildly successful, especially this year. Um, I think once we have Pioneer on there, uh, you'll unavoidably have more people playing it. You may unavoidably have like some people like drop two, three hundred bucks just so they can build like their one or two or three favorite Pioneer decks to play on the platform. Especially if like it's on mobile. I don't know. I'm getting ahead of myself. But I think if we got uh, Pioneer on Arena in 2021, that would be a win in general. Yep. All right. And the last one, Stan, you have for your goals? I mean, better mana overall. Um, channeling Shane here 100%. But I think this will just be a net benefit to Eternal Formats if we start to get reprints of like some fast mana that hasn't seen print since like the return to Phyrexia or whatever. I'm looking at Copperline Gorge and Seacrum Coast cycle. That's from Scars. Yeah. Scars. Yeah. But yeah, I think if if we have more good mana across colors and across color pairs, we'll see more deck diversity as well. Because you'll see more strategies that can like have more reliable resources to tap into like strong synergies or interesting cards that they might not be able to execute as consistently right now. Yeah. And and I will say maybe once we have the full cycle of pathways, like that'll be a good bandage. Like I would love for that to be the case. We've sort of seen that with black, white and, and, and blue and um, not just black, white, but red, green as well. Like mm-hmm. we've seen the pathways do a ton of work in gruel decks. I think the fast mana will maybe be a little bit better, but time will tell for sure. Yeah. All right. So that's goals. That's the G. All right. We had a lot to talk about with pioneer for its goals. Goal. You need to get your goals realigned pioneer, not ambitious enough in the first year. You did some perfunctory stuff, but now let's talk about what could really make it good. So the next thing in the good acronym is obstacles. Yeah, a lot of these. What obstacles are in the way of making Pioneer be able to reach its goals? That's Stan, I think, capably laid out a good vision for what those goals could be. But I have a lot of thoughts about the obstacles that are facing um, Pioneer right now. One thing is, you know, the lack of vision. Are the goals that something like what Stan laid out really possible? Is that where we want to go? Is that what we're going to do? Who's going to take charge of that all i'll say is i think all of magic needs this like i think modern could benefit from a little bit of a official like this is what we want modern to be from r&d as well as pioneer and and whatever other formats they care about yeah so the other thing is i and maybe i'm banging a drum everybody's been looking at but there you know we talked about this on the uro omnath episode there are so many value cards that are hanging around right now that um and there's not enough ways to interact with them and there's a big color imbalance in the way that those that cheap interaction is distributed in pioneer it's still a problem it's been a problem since the beginning people called it like shane said that fatal push and thoughtsies would stand out we need to figure out a way to work that out there's no safety valves as a result of that either so the power level of the cards is so low with the answers that when there's a big kind of payoff card that can, can stick really easily or becomes abused in some way, it's very hard for Pioneer to adapt without having like uh, banning intervention to make it work. And I think these are all things that people have talked about before. And the last one that's on my mind is one that we've talked about a little bit that I was trying to say for this part of the discussion, but it's a big problem. What's the relationship between Pioneer and Historic? 
like for real, is Pioneer going to come to Arena? Because right now, if you were going to ask me to place a bet, like a prop bet that Pioneer is going to be in Arena by the end of 2021, I would say no. I would take the under on Pioneer ever appearing on Arena, if you know what I'm talking about. What do you think, Shane? Yeah, I mean, and the the longer we go, the more players get invested in Historic and like have cards that they have bought specifically for Historic or crafted specifically for Historic. Like, what's to get them to play Pioneer on Arena one day? Especially like Historic offers like the opportunity to play some modern power level and even beyond cards right now because of the the way that they're putting cards into the format. Inexplicably, but yes, true. It's just, you're sort of like, just like the longer it goes, the less opportunity you have to really capture people as making Pioneer seem interesting and cool and different. Hey, Shane. Yeah. I feel like you've turned on Arena more recently than Dave has. In a sentence, can you describe the difference between Pioneer and Historic today? Uh, well, Historic has weird cards that are injected to it individually rather than going through the standard filter, like you said, right? And also, they get some non, they get some completely novel formats like Jumpstart and whatnot. That might not be a permanent thing, right? They might not do that for other products in the future, but for some reason, they decided to put Jumpstart into it. They banned a bunch of cards that they removed from Jumpstart when they put them on Arena, which I actually think would have been good, potentially, like Lightning Bolt, but... But, anyway, yeah, I mean, this kind of makes me think, and we can come back to anything that you guys want to talk about again. I, I, I don't want to jump the gun here. I think that this is the biggest obstacle is related to this. And it's one they just can't overcome right now. And it's that Pioneer doesn't exist in paper right now. And it doesn't exist on Arena. And therefore, it has no way to become relevant to a wide player base because there are no incentives for playing the format. You're right. You can't grind it. You don't have the incentive of click best of one six minutes later type thing. You don't have that incentive. You don't have the incentive of winning the next GP or getting your partial partial invite GP credits by top 64-ing or something like that, right? You don't have the incentive of going to, to your LGS. And this, this, of course, exists also in Modern, but Modern has a different type of incentive related to it. And so, like, remember that, like, PT is like really promotional tour, right? In a lot of ways. Like what is getting eyes on Pioneer? The big streamers are playing Arena. They're playing Modern. Some of them have left Magic altogether. Like Todd Anderson is like off Magic, as far as I can tell. I don't mean, I'm not putting you on blast, Todd, if you listen to this podcast, but... Which he doesn't, but we love Todd. (laughs) um, it's, It's a big difference from like 800 people watching him top eight, a Pioneer event, like a year ago, Right. So there's not a lot of reason for people to, to do this. And that's an obstacle is like you, you have to give people a reason. And I want to talk more about that later. Yeah. All right. Last question I had in the obstacles area is, can we, you, is it, and this is maybe a, not an obstacle, but the opposite of an obstacle an enabler, I guess, which is, are, is there some function that the players play in making Pioneer a more priority format for Wizards? Because right now, you know, the baseline metrics that that I think Wizard used for the format are really trending down, right? You know, like there's only 200 people in the leagues on Moto where there's seven, eight hundred, six, seven, eight hundred people in the modern leagues on Moto. I mean, that's a whole other Moto is a whole other problem that we'll talk about maybe some other time. But it's worth noting, 
um, you know, modern is surviving because of inertia and because people love the metagame and the metagame's doing well and there's interesting stuff going on, but Pioneer didn't have the runway. Um, is there something that that we need to do to like get players to reinvest? Is there something we should do or like what's our function in this ecosystem? Stan, you might disagree with me, but I don't really understand why players should have to help a, f- a game exist. Like it seems like it should be the other way around. Oh, oh, Shane, I totally agree with you. <laughs> okay, like I think like Watsi makes formats relevant. It makes them popular. It makes them interesting via the tournament scheduling, via the tournament structuring, via the broadcast and marketing, via the card development process, uh, banning when necessary. Like we see the value of good bands. Something like Modern feels very well curated right now. And all of that then results in players wanting to play a format. So it's like, what can we do as players is I think like players will want to play a game and I'll talk about this later is players want to play what other people are playing, right? So whether it's a a reinvestment in like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to tell people that I want to play a pioneer event or something like that in my, in my Slack or whether it's, uh, I, I just don't know. Like, I just, I feel like it's not in the player's hands because like, I think players are more reactive and the company, the corporation of, of Hasbro and wizards of the coast have to set the roadmap for players to walk on. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The one thing I will say is like, there is still third party tournament organizers nowadays ourselves included but like scg is doing all of their events on arena and i think although there isn't as much onus on players unless they want to just voice their opinion um i think like if we were to see more third party events happening on in pioneer on moto then we might see more interest in it as well you'd probably have to inject a little bit of money to incentivize people to even sign up just because like if the stakes are aren't high enough no one's gonna care yeah, I mean, note that Mana Traders, yes, our sponsor. Yes. I do not believe that any of their tournaments have been Pioneer. Is that correct? One has. They did one, so they've had a couple Modern, a couple Standard, a couple Legacy, and one Pioneer. I think they did one Standard, one Pio, if memory serves. Um, and and we need more of that. I think Mana Traders is sort of leading the charge for MTGO formats. Is kind of the thing because they're an MTGO based economy so it's so it's it's their interest but listen i can't understate the fact that if anything killed pioneer it was covid this is a paper format they knew that they were going to have paper gps and paper pro tours and like what else can they actually do except maybe have like an mtgo mythic championship which yeah it's unfortunate they don't but we know why they don't because mtgo doesn't look good on twitch and that's why we need Pioneer on Arena, because then we might actually start to see that. Yeah, I mean, it's rough. You know, at the beginning of this whole thing, I was very anti the uh, COVID killed Pioneer take, but it's hard to argue with at I, this point in a I lot made, of ways. I, I made a pretty good impression point there, didn't I, Dave? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot over the last couple of months, and it's just like, I mean, it's that plus the lack of identity that is a, the big obstacle to me is like, there's no reason for people that people can't get together in paper it's not supported digitally on arena and it the identity is unclear like in modern there's all these things that people just have affinity for like their deck archetypes that they love it's much squishier in in pioneer it's like which deck do you like attacking with or do you want to combo off or do you want to play sensor some counter spells yeah sensor oh man 
I got blown out by that a couple of times over the weekend, but. So I think like part of the paper thing is we haven't had enough time to develop that affinity, but in preparation for this episode, we did play Pioneer mm-hmm. and I'm curious if you guys enjoyed it because like, I will say I had a great time playing Pioneer and I'm not just like saying that to be a cheerleader. I'm not just saying that because like we pay attention to the format, though maybe that colored my experience, but like I thought my games were fun and reasonably diverse. I didn't play the same deck over and over either. I mean, I played against a lot of the same decks when I was on Mono Black Aggro. That's just kind of how my pairings went. But it was nice to play in a format where you didn't have to be aware of all the turn four kills that could get you from when someone plays Dark Slick Shores turn one. And you're like, okay, well, I'm playing against Ad Nauseum and playing against Ad Nauseum. I have to know, like, Modern takes a lot of knowledge, I think, to be able to understand, especially if you're playing on Moto. Because that's where the, the, you know, the real spikes are when you go into those queues. Like, you've got to know how you're going to die on turn four in modern if you don't execute your game plan. And that takes some time to build up that knowledge. In Pioneer, there are less interactions like that, I think, at this point, especially with the combo meta kind of being over. But let's talk about that, because I think that actually tails into the next section, the second O of the good acronym, which is Opportunities. Because I, I do think that what Stan brought up a minute ago, it's not really deck diversity, but it is maybe a little bit of kind of deck decision-making ability that is a positive in Pioneer. You do get to do tactical things that make a difference in games without having to leverage a lot of implicit knowledge of the metagame and still be able to be competitive in Pioneer, I think. Does that make sense? It's kind of like you can play a deck that attacks and blocks and has a kind of normal curve out kind of plan without being hyper aggro like prowess, without being super synergy based and still be competitive and have a place in the format. And maybe that's something that just needs to be emphasized more or built around or enabled in some way to make it a format on its own. Yeah, opportunities. I mean, like, I feel like we've talked about some of these opportunities already, right? And that's like, get on arena. That's an opportunity. And that's a, it's an opportunity that I think has a, has a, has a window. There's a window opportunity here. That's why it's a saying, right? And it could be closing the longer it goes on and people become accustomed to what arena and arena formats are and what historic means to arena versus something like pioneer. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's a tough one because like, I feel like they don't talk about it enough. They don't like give us enough carrots. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, like we're working on this. Like we're through this, like give us some kind of roadmap. Maybe. I don't know. Like if, if the focus is so strongly on arena, which it has been this year for a good reason, then, then why not give us more of like a update or like, even if you're not really pushing it as far as you want, like tell us that. Yeah. But weirdly, Remember, I shared the uh, I saw Saffron Olive tweet about the earnings call for Hasbro today where they said that they had double digit growth and were profitable. They had growth both on the paper and digital side in Magic even this year because people are still purchasing cards. I thought Elob, I I remember vaguely hearing somewhere that Elob was a wildly successful paper product. Wow, that's amazing. I've only bought like eight packs of that set. I bought a bunch of Zendikar Dude, you, Rising, you though. You do drive, you drive a lot of their revenue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. No, I, I don't. I'm sure I'm not the typical consumer, but uh, it's interesting. 
I mean, I have theories about that. I think that's more like casual drivers than competitive drivers and like people cooped up at home and like playing casual kitchen table magic with their relatives or neighbors or like in their little pods and their COVID pods. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I've been buying magic cards like like crazy. I bought a set box, a set booster box of Zendikar Rising this weekend. I didn't tell you guys about its secret. I opened it. I don't know if I would buy another set booster box. Like they were fine. What about the what about the turn? What about the, the fold? Or, or, I like mean, that, the, <laughs> that stuff was okay. It didn't totally resonate with me, but I did get some really funny cards from the list. Like I got a bunch of. I was like, "What is this? Oh, you have Tron, Stan? Is that what you're pointing to? Is your new Tron yeah, deck? I, I built Tron this year. Yeah, and Ponza. All right, hold on. Okay, we, we don't have a lot of time left. I want to talk about the opportunities, and then we still have a D. Still have a D. I so, think we're we're very unclear on what the opportunities are, but here's how I would sum it up. I think one opportunity for Pioneer to be successful if they wanted to is they have to finish the conversion to Arena. That yeah, seems yes. like a no, not a no-brainer because I know it's super hard to do, but it's like, that's a big one. You want it to be successful, you got to put it on Arena. That's it. The other one is I still stand by what I said earlier, which is just like, it's nice to be in a format where every deck doesn't kill you by turn four. Now, some decks kill you on turn four in Pioneer, yeah. but at least it's not all of them. And um, it's a different style of gameplay from Modern in that sense, where it's still pretty powerful, but also not uh, but not as fast as kind of when Modern gets going. I see the biggest opportunity is like, give people a reason to play the format. Like, I, I really don't think Pioneer has a format problem. I think it has a no reason to play this format problem so like my opportunity is sort of a repeat which is like i think watsi could give people a reason to pay attention to the format but i think that they have conflicts in terms of like they're playing platforms like they want to be pushing arena as hard as possible and they also have to be pushing revenue like what does pushing pioneer do for their bottom line really yeah so it's not like they can just make gps a thing again right now um like, I feel like games and formats within games we play are snowball-y. Like, I think people play Among Us because other people play Among Us. You know what I mean? Like, as an example. Like, if you don't have a legacy scene around you, you aren't buying into legacy. If no one's playing Pioneer on streams, no one's playing Pioneer at your LGS because no one's playing there, and there's no upcoming SEG events or GP events, like, what's moving Pioneer forward? And, like, I feel like... The limitation on Arena could be like, hey, you have nothing else to do with your cards, right? That yeah, is what it should be. Yeah, right. Arena should just go it. back. To, Arena should go back to the beginning of Pioneer. Like that's what it is. But that's that's like a you know that's a that's a large developmental problem, and now they're going to have a player base sort of striation problem and fragmentation problem. Uh, that's a new thing to solve for, and that's kind of like what well, that's the biggest opportunity to me is like you have to give people a reason to play. Yep. All right. So let's move on to the D in good, which is decisions, decisions that pioneer has in the next year that can determine whether it will be successful or not. Mm -hmm. Big one. Shane just talked about. That's why I wanted to transition from it is whether or not we're actually going to put this on arena in, in any form, whether it's through remastered sets. So it's got a reflection of pioneer or whether it's going to be a different thing. I think that's the biggest question that they have. What do you guys think? Yes or no? I mean, yeah, it's my contention that I think that high level play in some way is like the only answer to really make this like a legitimate format again, 
or like, a, I mean, I guess that's fair to say, like make this a legitimate competitive format again. And then I think that requires Watsi to determine what Pioneer means to them and then how that can be profitable to them, which I think is easier on Arena than a lot of places. And then make it meaningful and relevant to a wider variety of people. And I think that competitive play is like the biggest thing that drives uh, formats like standard, like modern. Yeah, I mean, you guys know I want Pioneer on Arena. I do think that Watsi will have to reckon with the Arena economy once it gets there. Because if Modern was suddenly added to Arena, people would be annoyed that like you can't buy cards. And I think we'll, we might see a little bit of that with Pioneer as well. And hopefully that'll lead to an overall improvement to the Arena platform as well. But like as much as I want it, I, I want to temper my take just by saying like it's not an easy solve. Like Arena still has room for improvement as well. I think for me this is actually a big year of an existential question for Pioneer when it really boils down to it. Like we're at a year into this. Is it working? Are we going to keep doing this? That's tied into the arena question, but it really feels like we're we're coming to an inflection point at some point where wizards might send the article that's like, "Hey, we're not real. We're gonna do historic instead, and in paper, we're just not gonna worry about it." Wow, that could happen. It, I think it's more than I think it's fifty fifty. Wow. Honestly, why though? Like, if if people are still signing up for the challenges, wizards is just making money. Yeah, it's like it's like what at what point is it like more of a boondoggle than an asset? I don't know. I don't know either, but I do think that we're we are going to enter a year of existential questions. Like the first year was about this format is fun, and then now it's like how do we fix this format that was fun that got broken? And now it's do we were is it worth saving? Are we going to put effort into saving it? Because do we need it to be there? What is it like Shane said, what does it add to the company's bottom line? You know, I, I do have to say, like, we should keep in mind that a number of successful formats are have not been driven by Watsi. They're driven by the players. Like Commander was not created by Watsi. And it's it's the most important or most uh popular way to play magic, Commander is aside, you know. Popper, like Shane just said, Popper was created by the community. It's not, uh, and then adopted by Watsi later. It's not something that they came up with and pushed on us. And there might be just an incontrovertible problem there with Pioneer where there really was not full community groundswell to create something in this space. And so if it's not taking off, they might not ever completely turn off support for it, but it might just kind of fade into the night a little bit in favor of essentially whatever's going on in arena because arena is important to them. Now I do think that that argument gets overstated a little bit because arena is super important. They want to do esports, blah, 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 blah. They still make more money with paper product than they do on arena at this point. And not sure that there's a complete evidence that that's going to change, but, but Shane, I think you have good reasons for thinking that pioneer is fundamentally a good idea. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's a non-rotating format without the power level of modern. Like modern's busted, y'all. Like this weekend event we played, I was effectively out of games by like turn three or turn four just constantly, right? And like that's just kind of what you sign up for with modern, and it's just not the case much of the time in Pioneer, at least. Like I feel like there's just like a confluence of factors that's keeping Pioneer in the background of of people's minds and playing habits, right? Like 
we talked a lot about it. I'm just going to sort of summarize. COVID-19 is like, you know, makes paper play a non-entity and televised paper play is not happening. The development and push towards arena is just such a stronger focus on standard now and historic now. And streamers have like these competing interests. And I think streamers drive certain areas of popularity in the game more than I think we might realize. Like they have they have competing interests at play. And even if they liked Pioneer, they cannot be expected to be like the vanguards of this format. Like they're gonna play, they're gonna draft, they're gonna play standard, they're gonna play historic or play modern on Magic Online or something like that, because that's what gets the clicks. And like if you know if if aspiring Spike went to Pioneer, he'd probably I, I wouldn't be surprised if he lost 20% of his viewers. You know, just because like people are like, eh, I don't really care about Pioneer that much. I want to see him do crazy stuff with modern power level cards. Yeah. I don't know. So like, I, I feel like I hope I've communicated that, like, I still like Pioneer and I have a lot of hope for it, but I just feel like there are, there's a lot of obstacles and Wizards is not doing a great, like, communication on what they see the obstacles as and where they stand in overcoming those obstacles. And then it makes us think like, we don't have hope. That's my sort of general vibe and, and and summary of it. Man, I think it's super interesting that the reasons that Pioneer is maybe not a quote unquote good format right now in the way that you talked about with Modern, it's not really because of the gameplay. It's kind of because of the unclear place that this has in everybody's kind of minds in the whole community's kind of mindset. Like who are the Pioneer fans like we had them for a minute and then we kind of lost them and the question is how do we get them back and i think that's what the big question is going into year two is if we don't solve that question it's not going to be here anymore after that i guess that's my base my bottom line for this discussion pioneer you're on probation we're going to check in again in six months and see how it's going Dave, that was very eloquently put. A little hard to follow that. Generally agree. I mean, I will reiterate, like, if paper play doesn't come back in 2021, which very well might not in large parts of the United States and elsewhere, like, the way you're putting it is, I'm not sure Pioneer has a chance, unless it's on Arena. Um, and, and I'm hearing a lot of pessimism from you about it actually even getting there so like i i think in dave's eyes pioneer has a a tough road ahead um even though i like the gameplay i will say like i had fun yeah i just hope that there's just not enough reasons for people to reach out to find out that they're having they can have fun with it too if you're listening to this podcast i think you can have fun in pioneer that's that's true too agreed I think all three of us agree. I, I mean, like, listen, at the end of the day, I think Pioneer has to earn its place in players' hearts and minds. And it just didn't have enough time to do that. And, like, it was dealt a really bad hand. We all were. Like, COVID ruined the planet <laughs> this year. We we lost a year. Um, and a lot of people. And, like, Pioneer is kind of, like, the least of our concerns when you think of it that way. But, like, you can't ignore the fact that, like, a global pandemic is going to have consequences on, like, a commercial game and and that's what this is about it was a paper format first and it now needs to become a digital format and we have one digital platform that is suited to support it but we just don't have as many players on there i think pioneer has a bright future if it gets to arena and if arena improves as a platform as well to like support pioneer's potential time will tell if we get there but i'm i'm more like i have higher expectations for the potential for arena because i think that could be good for magic than i do about like pioneer specifically because 
you know, we're a modern and pioneer show, and I think modern's going to live forever. I think modern's going to outlive Wizards of the Coast and Magic because we're always going to keep our our decks and and love playing them. Pioneer, maybe less so. Yeah, Commander definitely will too. People like their EDH decks. All right, I love that take. Thank you for uh, making me sound a little less negative when I I didn't really mean to sound that negative, but it's okay. Listen, it's been a tough year for Pioneer especially, but really for all the people. Yeah, for just everybody. All right, that wraps up this week's episode. Thanks for being back. Hey, Dave, how are you feeling, by the way? You were gone last week. You had to take a sick day. You feeling good? I'm I'm doing okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good. Good. good I'll good. be around. Don't worry. Listen, I just need you to take emergency so you can be here for episode 100. We got some big plans. We do. By the way, this episode is going to come out two weeks before episode 100. And sorry, we're going over Tanner, but we got a stream on Saturday night, right? We need to promote that date on this podcast right now. And that Saturday night is November 14th. That's our goal. We're booking it, right? I think it should work. The days. I think it was November 14th. Yeah. We'll talk about it more on the next episode, but we need people to understand we're going to have a birthday party on November 14th digitally that you all need to come to. Yeah, and and you should subscribe to Shane's Twitch account, not only because he streams, but that's where we're doing it. So it's twitch.tv slash the dive down underscore Shane. Yes, the dive down underscore Shane. I'll try to be on tomorrow morning. I ex- oh, no, no one's going to hear no, this on Friday. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can. Can you stream on Saturday? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> But look, I know that this one was a little bit of doom and gloomy. Come and join us for a birthday party. We'll have more details on the next couple of episodes, but this is what we're doing. Apropos of Pioneer's health, the future is bright for Dive Down, especially Dave and Shane. Hey, listen, if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. Episode 100 will be streamed. It will also come out in audio form on your podcast feed. I think for sure also if you use apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review we love getting those uh if you dislike the show you're probably not hearing this so i don't need to threaten you if you'd like to submit a question for the podcast uh the three of us or any of us in particular you can tweet us at the dive down all one word you can email the dive down at gmail.com if you'd like to support the show you can join our patreon we're joining at any tier gets you access to our super secret slack channel Sign up at patreon.com slash the dive down. Also shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the dive down. You can sign up for Mana Traders using promo code the dive down, all one word. You'll get 15% off your first three months of a Mana Trader subscription. You'll get better prize support in their monthly tournament series. The next one is Legacy. I think that's the November format. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and play more.
days on the Twitch. I think it was November 14th. <laughs>